First time I met Natalie Cravey uh, was the summer between my freshman or our freshman and sophomore year. And um, I was sitting on the second to the back row in the class and all of a sudden someone just kind of went and fell and hit my head. and. You know, I, I just kind of sat up and I looked and it was Doug and he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't mean to hit you on your head. And then he was like, ooh, hi, my name is Doug Hankins. I'm a freshman at Baylor. I'm a, a business major, but I plan on going into the ministry and I just thought you needed to know that. I was like, who does that? I was like, I'm at church and Doug's hitting on me. I was like, whoa. Hell. Is there more? Yeah, I think I there's like, more. Whoa. Sorry. <laughs> so, like, at this moment, everything went into slow motion. Like, I looked down and I was like, is he hiding behind the bushes somewhere? Like, what's going on? And so I was like, yeah. do I open it? Like, what's going on? So I see her, I'm below her balcony, and I see her kind of kind of go out and go on to the, uh, go into the balcony, and she looks down and she sees the ring, and as soon as she sees the ring, I all of a sudden think to myself, this is it, it's go time. So she kind of picks up the ring and is like looking around on her porch, and I come walking up her stairs, strumming down on the guitar, and I play her this little song I wrote for her. So I picked up the little red ring box, and I started to open it up, and then all of a sudden I heard him coming up the stairs. And he was playing his guitar and a song that he'd written for me. And during the time that I was driving home and getting ready for bed, Doug was upstairs showering and putting on his suit and shaving and everything so that he could come over and surprise me. So he's coming up the stairs singing, and I'm crying. And so I keep playing and played throughout the song. And uh, then got down on one knee and, and asked her to marry me. And I said yes. And then he got up and he was like, okay, folks, the show is over. You can go back inside because all of my neighbors at this point were out on their um, front doorsteps. And That's it. Well, hello, friends. We're super excited to have you some staff and I were talking about that video, and we were saying that it is literally like the movie The Walk, A Rock to Remember. You know how the guy is just like a high school jock that's just a jerk, and the girl is just so pure? And that's what I felt like I just watched. Yes, because I was definitely a high school jock who was a jerk. I was definitely not the band nerd, so. Um, we are super excited to have Natalie here. Hey! super excited to be here like he gets to have all the fun and I'm excited to be here tonight um if you have not met Natalie I want to quickly give a few facts about Natalie just to kind of open things up that you may not know okay Natalie when we go to her house keep in mind me and our staff and a few of you we're at her house minimum every other week <laughs> for hours at a time this could be a random night, and they're like, hey, come over in an hour. I made you finish <laughs> one, it. One night, or one day, Britt was like, I'm out of milk, and I need some coffee. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I have some. She's like, okay, I'm on my way. <laughs> I love that, though. It's just the way that our culture operates, and Natalie is very much a part of that. Um, so we have found out a few things about Natalie over time. If you go to Natalie's house, everything 
is it, there is a chance, there is a good chance, actually a 100% chance that there is something made that she grew herself in a garden. Like if there's lemonade, those lemons were grown by Natalie. They were hand squeezed. Like there is always something. The avocado, if there's guacamole, she grew the avocados for a year and then you came over and then there was guacamole. Like that is just who Natalie is. True. Natalie loves like fail videos, the kind of humor that you would not expect Natalie to love, that's what she loves. Picture okay. the opposite of what you would think Natalie would love, and she loves it. Did anybody see, like, the new account, Fail Salad, that just opened this week? Like, <laughs> that is my kind of humor, and I've been, like, sending it to Britt and Tori, like, nonstop. And I'm, they, they're, they're to the point where they're, like, just double tap. <laughs> like, they don't even comment back because it's, like... Yeah, it's too much. Natalie is also the meme queen, okay? If you want someone to send you quality memes, it is always Natalie. I don't know where she finds them. It's like 30 seconds after it's posted, it's sent to all of us. Yeah. Like, how did you even see that that fast? Wait, is Haley Felder here? Haley, are you here? I can't tell if Haley's here. Okay, so Haley's actually the meme queen. That's one of our sources. It's one of the meme revenue streams that Natalie has. So. Yes. Um, and so we just love Natalie. Natalie and Doug were the first, just personally, before on Doug's job interview, okay, I was sitting across from him, didn't know if he was going to get the position, and I said, hey, I think my boyfriend and I are going to get engaged soon. If you came, would you do the wedding? Like, I didn't even know him. I didn't know him from Adam. He was like, sure. And so Doug ends up getting the job. We come, we were the first couple that Doug and Natalie premarital counseled. We were the first wedding that they did. And they just, we text each other at least every other week and say, hey, we're so happy that we are family. And that is genuinely how I feel about not only Doug, but Natalie. So we're super excited to have you. So with questions, if y'all want to pull out your phones, go to Instagram um, or the link. I think the picture will be up on the screen. Go ahead and while we're talking, just send in questions. If you think of something, totally fine to have your phone out. It's fine to have notes out, take notes. Um, and go ahead and start sending in questions on Instagram or on the link. But the first question, we always joke that when you get married, there is something that you are going to fight about on your honeymoon. It is going to be your first fight as a married couple. It is typically really dumb. And you look back and you're like, why? That didn't even make any sense. I don't know why we thought about that. So the question is, and I don't know if Doug's ever told this story before. I don't think you have. What was your first married fight about? Okay, so <laughs> I'm ready for this. All right, so we're on our honeymoon in the Canadian Rockies. And we're driving through this national mountain ram preserve, and I'm snapping pictures, and um, we get hey, close. Hold on, wait, wait. What, what vehicle are we in? We're in this, like, really cool Jeep. We're in a Jeep in the Canadian Rockies in a mountain ram preserve, I mean, it's like, and you're taking photos. The exact photos. vibes that you want when you're in the Rockies, we had. So, like, we're driving along, and he's getting me close, but not close enough for the shot that I want. So, so, so I just jump out of the car. <laughs> I get out and he's like, Ellie, get back in the car. And he's like trying to whisper, shout it to me because he doesn't want to scare the mountain rams. Because we're surrounded by mountain rams. <laughs> like literally <laughs> surrounded by them. And they're not like in a petting zoo, like these are wild. 
And so I don't get back in the car. I keep walking toward them because I have to get the right shot. And this is before, like, I didn't have my digital, like, he had a digital camera, but, like, I still had, like, There's you know, no film. long lens. Nellie has to be this I, far I from the mountain range <laughs> to get her shot. So he's, like, shouting at me. And the thing that we didn't know at the time was that Doug is an Enneagram 8, so, like, um, protection, especially, like, his new wife is, like, one of his top priorities. Um, and I was just living my best. I'm not a seven, but I am a one. And I was living my best, like, leaning toward my seven moment, <laughs> like, going toward the mountain rams. And so I, like, continue to walk toward them to get the really good shot. And then I, like, walk back and get into the car. And he's, like, He's, like, fighting with me. He's, like, why did you do that? Like, do you know that, like, snapping flash in front of wild mountain rams that they could, like, ram you and kill you? And I was, like, listen, I had a plan. I was, like, <laughs> I was like if they come at me, I figured you were just going to zoom up, throw the door open, and I was going to jump in, and then we were going to drive off. And he was, like, why did you think that? I was, like, y'all, we were, like, four days in a marriage, and... <laughs> And I thought, we've been smushing for four days, so, like, surely there's, like, a soul level that's happened. So, so he's just going to read wait. my mind. For those of you who don't know, smushing means sex. So, to be real clear on that. <laughs> so, so, I just thought he would understand that that was what we were going to do. Sort of like, you know, I don't know. Natalie, for those of you who don't know, Natalie also grew up on a farm with all kinds of animals. Doug did not grow up on He's a farm. scared of like farm animals, so he would go to my house and we had this um, little bull named Buddy and I'd be like, come pet Buddy. And he'd be like, I'm good. <laughs> True. So that was their first funny honeymoon fight. D and just, we got over it. We're okay now? Oh yeah, 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 we were good. We're gonna I, make it? Okay. We had to, I had to understand like, hey, I should not jump out of a car and go into the mountain. But I did get a really good shot, y'all. I really did. So no can regrets you, on that. Can you post that I to do, Instagram later? I will. Okay, I'll I, repost. <laughs> I have, like, no regrets on the shot, but I do regret not communicating with you before I jumped out of the car. Thank you. Appreciate that. Knuckles, what up? Okay. Right. Okay, cheesy question okay. for now. I'm in. We hear a lot from Doug, so I'm going to direct a lot of questions to Natalie. How did you know that Doug was the one? This is a question that we get a lot as a staff when we're meeting with you. You're dating someone, and you're like, I don't know if, how I know if they're the one. Do you feel something tingly inside? Do you, yes. Does the Lord audibly <laughs> speak to you, and then you know, do you ask him to turn off the lights, and then he turns off the lights? Like, how, how did you know that Doug was the one? Um, it was a series of things. Like, one, he fit what I felt like I had been praying for. Um, my, like, the, when, I think he's talked about it, the pastor who told him that he should date me, um, he had told <laughs> me that, like, we, like, you should pray um, kind of specifically. And so I had kind of a list, and it was, it was, like, kind of a random list now that I think back about it. Mm -hmm. Um, like I wanted my husband to play at least three instruments. And whenever I found that, that out, I was like, specific. Mm, right. I know. 
And then, uh, but the, the big thing was I felt like God had called me to be a pastor's wife. So I was looking very specifically for someone going into the ministry. And when he said that he felt a call to the ministry, I was like, okay, you can advance to the next round. Um, <laughs> we're laughing, but... Um, <laughs> Um, that, and then also, um, like the, the part that you didn't see on the video is a story of, uh, when we, before we were dating, Doug had written and was directing a, um, dinner theater for our college, uh, group. And I was in charge of the, the sets for it. And one day I was up like, fixing the sets and everything and one of the flats fell over on top of me and so I was like trying to like push it back up and Doug ran over and like lifted it up and that was the first time like we were friends but like I'd never been like this close to his face and um I turned and looked into his eyes and I'm a very like focused like like get things you like to charge after rams with cameras yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) like like, I'm a very focused person, and I yeah. looked into his eyes, and I, I, it, it stopped me, like, in my tracks. I forgot what I was doing, um, could not focus, and he looked at me, and he thought, because he had his arm up, that I could smell his B.O., because sometimes he would go for, like, <laughs> a week without showering, which is really gross. We switched that. And <laughs> Love is a change agent, y'all. <laughs> And, um, so he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like I, I should have put on deodorant or something. And I couldn't tell him cause I'm, I'm one. I was like, I can't say I completely forgot what I was doing. Cause I think you're so hot. <laughs> so, um, chemistry is, uh, alive and well. So, so character chemistry, anything else that made you know? Oh yeah. 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 So I couldn't have married someone who I didn't respect. And um, I needed someone who was smart and who I felt like was a good leader. And Doug was definitely that. So. Doug. (laughs) Um, Doug, what are some Christian myths or stigmas about sex that you found to be false? Also, I I forgot to say this. These are all, they have no idea what I'm asking them. So everything that we are asking, they're answering on the spot. I don't even know the questions before they come in. So you can take a second to think about it. Yeah, Christian myths or stigmas about sex and sexuality that we found to be false. Um, Okay, so let me try to answer it two ways. Let me think about going into my honeymoon, kind of everything I built up. So Natalie Natalie and I were both virgins when we got married. So um, I had... um, I had had a little more experience. I was obviously making out with a lot of people, but actual intercourse, coitus, you know, to use the technical term, had <laughs> not taken place. Smushin had not taken place yet. Um, uh, so I think, uh, let, me, let me talk to you about what it was like. I actually, again, I told you guys this, I keep a journal. So I journaled every day of our honeymoon and like everything about it so I could go back and review this. But at, the, at my last... I don't want you to read that or... I should read that here no, right now? please. Okay. Please don't. Uh, just, I, I remember very soon into our honeymoon, well, let me say this. I, I think I went in thinking sex was going to be this panacea, this kind of cure-all for everything that was missing in my life. Um, like, okay, well, if I've had a bad day, well, sex will make me feel better. Yes. 
if, um, you know, if I'm bored, sex will entertain me. It's kind of just this, this thing that it covers over a multitude of sins, right? Yep. Um, I also think I thought that there would be, like, maybe, f- like, Disney fireworks or something going off. Yes. Like, bells and whistles and magic and all of these things. Um, I-, I just maybe thought unicorns would appear in our honeymoon room and be like, hey, there, you guys are having lots of fun or something like that. Like, <laughs> I-, I don't know, I j- but I... Because the way people had described it, it was like, here are the greatest things that have ever happened in the world, right? Um, So they built the Great Wall of China, and then uh, Titanic starring Leonardo DiCaprio came out, and then sex, like that in that order. And so I went in with these kind of, I mean, I think now unrealistic expectations about the function and nature of it. Um, Let me think if there's anything. Uh, Stigmas. So, so there's maybe some myths, some stigmas about sex or that, um, you know, if you don't connect with your wife or your, your mate, like on the first night, like if you get done and you're like, sex wasn't that great, then your marriage was doomed. Yep. Right? Or that sex was going to be always evaluated in terms of good or bad. Yep. Like you were going to get done, you're almost going to keep this checklist. You remember Ben Franklin used to keep this checklist for his daily things? Okay, I'm appealing to like the 1% of the history nerds in here. But like you would have that, and so you'd be like, well, today it was okay, but yesterday it was great. I wonder if we can get back to great. Like, okay. So very quickly in my journals, if you read through my, the honeymoon period of my, my life, I wrote, very, I wrote early on, um, uh, because God is satisfying, sex doesn't have to be. Yes. Like, that was just the earliest thing I could think of is like, hey, sex was great in all these ways I, I don't think I had categories for. But in terms of it being a panacea, it certainly isn't. It's just, it's sex. And here's the best way I can maybe describe it. Imagine you guys have fasted for a while. Like, you haven't had any food, or you haven't had any drink, uh, water. And then you go and you eat food for the first time, and it doesn't matter what it is. Maybe it's like what we're having today. I can't spoil that yet, right? Okay. We have some things for you guys later. Okay. Anyway, so you go and eat uh, a sandwich. Like, if you've been fasting for a while and you eat a sandwich, you're like, this is the best sandwich I've ever had in my life. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where if you're ever walking through a big city and it's cold and you're tired and then you finally find that one sandwich shop and you go in, it doesn't matter what it is. You're like, this is the greatest sandwich I've ever had. In a sense, that's what sex was like on our honeymoon because I've never had sex before. Um, but it wasn't like life-changing. Right. Like I became a different person. Yep. Um, and so I think that's probably true. And I would say on the other side, when sex is awful, when it's just mundane, um, it's amazing. And when it's really, really, really good, it's unbelievable. So at its worst, it's just amazing. Um, and it's because there's just an intimacy about it. It's less about the actual act itself and more about what's going on in our relationship. It's just such an intimacy builder. And so what I would say is when you get married, this is the way you're going to treat sex, I think. Especially, I think, if you're healthy. You're going to say, I'm really hungry. I'm going to go eat something. I'm really thirsty. I'm going to go drink something. I'm really in the mood. I'm going to go have sex. And it's just going to be kind of routine. But it's... It's satisfying in the same way when you're hungry and you eat a sandwich, it's satisfying. And when you're thirsty and you drink a glass of water, it's satisfying. It's always satisfying. But it's not a panacea. So that was, that was it. Natalie, really quick. I think a lot of us, especially women, hear a lot of men talk about this from the stage, from the pulpit, what have you. What would you say from a woman's perspective answering this question? 
I know we have talked about this before, but to everyone else in London. Um, I think sometimes, um, maybe not necessarily Christian culture, but culture in general, um, has so desensitized, um, like, sex with different things that I think sometimes people think that they have to be, like, a Victoria's Secret model. And so there's a lot of um, insecurity Mm -hmm. if they don't feel like they are. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I have a friend who has kind of a, a thing that she does, and she talks about how, like, she works with a lot of women who are married, but then they've, you know, their bodies have changed because mm. your bodies do change. Right. And um, they're not having sex because they feel insecure. Mm. And I think I would just say, you know, to all of you, male, female, whatever, like you're made in the image of God and you're yes. worthy. And the, the beautiful thing of marriage and the safety of that is that um, you're, you're both going to change. But you're also you're each other's standard of beauty. And so that's a really beautiful thing. And so I think if you're looking into it and going, hey, I have to be X to be loved, I think that's untrue. That's good. She needs to come preach in your place, I think. I should marry you. Um, okay, this was a question that came in that a lot of people said. When entering a new relationship, how do I approach the topic of the mistakes I've made in past relationships? Matt, I kind of want to start with you. Well, let me also just say as a plug, and and you'll talk about this, uh, Britt's going to address one layer of this issue when she teaches in two weeks on our um, I've Always Wondered series, which is coming up. She'll say more about that later. Thanks for that plug. There you go, Britt. Shout out to Britt. Well, I think the beautiful thing is, as Christians, we've all experienced grace. Mm. Um, And so it's easier to offer grace when you've received it. And um, Mm. so I think looking at everybody, um, you know, if I was going to look at, at Doug or whomever, the way that God sees them is forgiven and redeemed. So I can look at them like that. So I don't have to hold any of their past whatever's against them. And what a beautiful place that is. So healthy place. Yeah. Doug? Yeah, I would just say everyone comes into a marriage relationship, um, or I would even in this case, uh, everyone comes into a dating relationship with brokenness. It's not like... broken people. Yeah. Again, we say this all the time at the table. This is a banquet for the broken. We're all broken. The, the, The difference between the person who comes in and says, I'm broken, and the person who comes in and says, no, I'm not broken, is the person who says, I'm not broken, is unaware of their brokenness. Yes. The person who says, I am broken, is just aware of it. Everyone's broken. Some of us are more aware of that than others. The beautiful thing about a relationship, because remember, romantic relationships are discipleship relationships on steroids. It's like super focused, intimate um, Christianity, intimate community. And so one of the things that's going to happen in that is you are going to become aware of just how broken you are. 
If you walk into a relationship thinking, well, I don't have a sexual past, but my girlfriend does, and I just don't know if we're going to be equally yoked or whatever, very quickly, if you stay in that relationship, you're going to be aware, become aware that you may not have brokenness sexually, but you have brokenness in like 27 other places. And she's going to make you aware of that, not because she's a jerk, but because she loves you. Um, And so the thing about men and women coming together is that you complement each other. And so... You may be stronger in some areas where she's broken, but she's going to be much stronger in other areas where you're broken. And so I think the way you approach this is just to come in aware and recognizing that before the cross, there's this level ground. And it really doesn't matter what you've done in the past because next to Jesus, everyone's broken. We're all on on the clearance table apart from Jesus. That's right. We're all on the clearance table at Ikea. Yeah. That's a Natalie (laughs) saying. That was the most Natalie (laughs) sentence I have ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. So. The Lord teaches me things on the plant (laughs) Every Every couple out there, the girl is like, we need to go to Ikea for some spiritual formation. Yes. Um, Next question. (laughs) I just read the question. That's why I'm laughing. Knowing your family backgrounds. Ooh. That's why I'm laughing. Okay, I'm ready. Oh yeah. Here we go. Oh yeah. Here we go. Repositioning on the couch. <laughs> what did you do internally to overcome your bad familial recipes? <laughs> Natalie, ladies first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think for me, I had to, um, I had to stop the patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we just talked about how we're all broken people, and we come from broken families, and whether your, your families are divorced or not, they're not perfect people, yep. and they made mistakes in their relationships. And, um, you know, for my family, I think sometimes my family could be passive-aggressive with each other and then elevate the drama, And so I learned um, when we were having fights that I couldn't do that because I love Doug and I wanted to set up a different pattern. So I, you know, there were, there were moments when I would say things and, you know, you, you feel that like the conviction in you Mm -hmm. where, you know, Hey, you, you just crossed the line. And so I would have to apologize. I think the faster that I could apologize um, the better our relationship was. And then it got to where you just, you don't, you don't say those things anymore. So it was a, a matter of being open and honest. And, you know, I, I talk about it sometimes where marriage is a lot of asking for forgiveness mm-hmm. and being prepared to forgive. So. Yeah, I, I think um, I want to challenge the question a little bit. I will say there's only so much you can do internally um, to overcome some of your bad familial recipes. And if you weren't here last week or if you're watching online, um, you know, I talked about how a lot of us, our our understanding of normal is handed to us like an old family recipe. Um, And so let me just say this, that in Christian community, being part of a church, a regular gathering of the saints who gather around the the table to hear from the, the word of the Lord who gather around the cross to learn from him. Just being in community is going to start to make you aware of those things because you'll, you know, I'll, I'll kind of 
for example, one of the things that happened with me growing up is my dad used to take me to bars, and he would teach me dirty jokes. And he would put me on top of the bar, he'd set me on a stool, and I would look at all of his friends who were drinking, and I would tell dirty jokes. And I knew how to tell the dirty joke and get the punchline. And all his friends would be like, ha, 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 Hankins, your son's so funny, bud. Right? And I just knew, like, oh, okay, this is how you entertain people. But he didn't understand that all of the punchlines were dirty. Oh, so I mean, like. So he continued to do it when we were in college. And yeah, everybody would be so, like. Yeah. <laughs> so I was on a church trip in college in the back of the van. And people are telling jokes. And I just, like, oh, I I just click back in. And. I'm weighing whether I should tell you this joke. I shouldn't tell you. That wouldn't be edifying. Okay, cool. We'll talk offline later. Um, anyway, so I tell this joke, and I deliver the punchline. And I mean, as it's coming out of my mouth, I'm watching everybody go, these church kids are turning red and blushing. And I, I kind of delivered it in this way. I was like, da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, my goodness. This was a dirty joke, wasn't it? And then everyone laughed at me because I was telling a dirty joke. I just wouldn't pick up on these things. And so just being around community and behaving as I know how to behave, people would give me feedback and go, hey, Doug, that isn't really yeah. appropriate. And so I think the way to internally overcome bad familial recipes, honestly, is to adopt the posture of teachability in community. Teachability is the only shortcut. Yeah, I'll also say that I've had several mentors in my life who have walked alongside me and kind of coached me and let me be honest and open and um, have pointed me back toward Jesus. And so that has been incredibly helpful in terms of setting up our family recipe. Yep. And then I would just say if 50 to 60% of those family recipes can be overcome in community um, through teachability, the rest of it can be done in marriage. And it typically is done within your first one to two years of marriage. Because you get married, y'all, and I'm telling you, you learn very quickly how selfish you are. Yes. You're like, no, no, I'm the, I'm the, most, I'm the <laughs> se most selfless person of all my friend group. And then you marry this other selfless person, and you get married. And, I mean, within the first week, you're just, like, running after rams in the Canadian Rockies. <laughs> and you're, I'm just kidding. I love you. Uh, but, no, you just, you're. I got such a good shot, y'all. You did, though. You did, though. You really did. You just are aware of how selfish you are. And then year two, year three of marriage, you're like, oh, man, we're the most selfless couple there is. And then you have your first kid. And you're like, oh, my gosh, we are the worst people on the planet. Because kids make you so aware of how selfish you are. And so, again, just being teachable and being in community is going to solve a lot of those issues. So. Awesome. Um, another question that keeps coming in. How do you both navigate keeping God and each other first among the demands of life, kids, work, ministry, etc.? And I know that you two have separate ways that you do it, but you also have ways together that you do it. So if you could explain that, that would be helpful. Okay, so um, we, there are, a couple, there are a lot of things that we do. In terms of keeping um, each other, like, as a priority, we have always had a set date night um, from, like, week one of getting back from the honeymoon until now. We've always had a date night. Um, I mean, when we were first married, our date night budget was $15. And, y'all, we could have some fun for $15. We had figured it out. But we have always. Happy hour, y'all. Happy hour. Now, half that, price appetizers. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You go to happy hour, they have half-priced appetizers. You only order appetizers. You get water to drink. You still have money for a tip. You get out of there at like 13 bucks. That's how you do that. Okay. 
That, by the way, bartenders hate you. I should just say that, okay? <laughs> Everyone here who runs bar is like, don't say that. That's the worst. Um, and also, we have, uh, like, with our, the rhythm of our week, we have learned to have um, stopping points. So we have daily stopping points. We have weekly stopping points. And we have quarterly and yearly stopping points where we have worked in a, a rhythm of uh, work and rest. And um, that has been incredibly helpful. And we even, like, part of our weekly rest is to have um, a family night every week with our kids and a date night. And so um, that's been incredible. I think we, in terms of putting God first, we both regularly read the Bible and pray. We talk to each other about what we're doing. Um, We've both been a part of, you know, Bible studies independently and together, and we've made it a priority that unless we have the flu, we're at church. Like, if we're on vacation, we find a church. Um, That's just a priority for us. It's not, we're not here like Doug's a staff member and we come because this is his job. We come because we're believers in Jesus and we come to worship, first of all. Um, So... Um, I would just add a couple of things practically. We have a shared calendar through iCloud, uh, through the Mac cloud feature, that when I put something on the calendar, Natalie gets a notification, and if she ever is like, no, that doesn't work, she gets to cancel things. And so that helps us stay aligned in what we do. And she's a good check for me and not um, over-scheduling my weeks. Um, Secondly, I rarely have one-on-ones with y'all after 5 p.m. In fact, some of y'all have asked me, hey, can we meet in the evenings? And I say, I can't do evenings. And then y'all go, can you meet on Friday or Saturday? And I say, I can't do that. Um, And that's because there's a boundary there. I've got to keep – evenings and then Friday, Saturday are time with my family. If I can do that, I can can work 80 hours the rest of the time. But those are are sacred. And so um, Natalie gets to say no to that, and I I try to say no to that. Um, And then I would just say – the th- you'll find this if, if you're thinking about couples stuff. Some couples like doing devotionals together. They really get a lot out of that. We're not two of those. Um, we tried that. We were like, let's do a couples devotional. It was terrible. Natalie read the whole book and did everything, and I stopped after day one. <laughs> okay. I was like. I, l- listen, listen, <sighs> listen. Okay. So he, he comes over, and he asks me to date him, and he goes through this whole spill, and then he presents me with this, like, <laughs> devotional book. And I'm like, I was an English major, so I was reading, like, five books a week, and I was like, okay, I'll put it on the tab. So I'm like, I read it the first night, and then I'm ready to discuss it with him. And we get together, and I'm like, so have you read the first chapter? He was like, oh, yeah, that was dumb. And he was out! I was like, I finished the whole book! He was like, oh, I'm real sorry about that. Yeah, and we've also tried other things. Like, there are certain spiritual formation practices I find really meaningful, like meditation and solitude. (laughs) And there was one time where I forced Natalie to practice meditating. Like, Pushed her into a room and shut he the put door. Me in the master and bedroom, held the shut door, the door there. And I, was like, I was like, "This no. isn't for me." Yeah. And he was like, "Just try it." <laughs> I was like, "I mean, okay. kind of borderline abusive." <laughs> I'll admit this. Like, board, like some of you are like creeper. We're leaving right now. Like it was. I had to apologize afterwards. I think I, I like folded laundry or something. Yeah, she was in the room. She was like, yeah, "I'll do something else." But and what I was trying to do at that time is go what what works for me spiritually. How I hear from God. My unique spiritual gifts mix 
must be everybody. Yeah. And Natalie had That's, to help me understand, hey, my spiritual gifts mix is different. Like, Natalie wants to go outside and sit in nature and commune with the universe. I want to go to an art museum. She wants to go to an art museum and drink coffee Listen and think about music. beauty, right? I want to read the Bible and talk theology, which she also likes to do. I want to go sit in silence and contemplate. I want to move into my mind palace and remember things. I want to journal. I, and so there's enough of differences where we realized that we have to kind of get full separately and then come together and kind of spill over on one another. Like we, once, we can't get full together. Once you're married, it's not like suddenly you're both going to hear from God in the exact same way. Like God has still given you individual giftings and um, just personalities, and that's okay. You don't have to go to God in the same way. Yep. The most important thing is that you're going to God. Yep. That was good. I'm getting so much from this being married. I feel like I'm just on your couch listening. Hey, we should hang out soon. Do you guys want to come over? Tomorrow. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Um, another I'll make question. The bread. There, this might be a hot take question. I'm Everybody in. be cool. Be cool, everyone. <laughs> what is the best advice for those considering entering a long distance relationship? Oh boy. <laughs> No one boo them, do not clap, because I know a lot of people have a, a bunch of different opinions yeah. on this. Do you do it? Do you not do it? So on and so forth. You might have different opinions as well. I don't know, but. Um, yeah, listen, um, relationships are about the commitment to make them work, right? No one's ever ready for a relationship. You're just ready to commit to being ready for a relationship. Um, it's kind of like any kind of business partnership or any kind of arrangement. It's just about how much work you're willing to put in. And so a long-distance relationship by its very design is going to require a lot of work um, because you can't organically um, experience the intimacy that you need eyeball to eyeball. You're on FaceTime. You're, uh, you're trying to align phone calls. It can just... You know, it's already hard enough. You guys know this. Y'all are dating in Orlando. It's already hard enough just being in the same yeah. city with somebody. You then move to separate states or separate countries, and it just becomes really challenging. So what generally I tell people is if you're going to date long distance, that's fine, but it should be for uh, a definite period of time. Yes. And if by the end of it you think we're going to move on to engagement, engagement's got to be in the same city, right? And, and maybe you even need to be in the same city for Two, week, uh, two months, three months or dating or six months dating before you get engaged because <clears throat> there's just something different between a Facebook connection and an eyeball-to-eyeball connection, right? Like, I can't learn how she does laundry from a long distance. Yeah. I can't learn whether she shows up on time or not from a long distance. I can't see what she does when she has a cold and how she medicates through that. I, there's just certain things you can't see. So I think... If marriage is going to happen, marriage should be in the same city. And so dating, leaning towards engagement should be in the same city for a while. Anything else you'd add to that? Agreed. Let me also say this. Here's the kinds of people who would work well in the long-distance relationship. Ready? Introverts. I mean this. Introverts who like to study a lot. So I'm describing professors you see a lot of academic professors who actually have long-distance relationships, and some of them have long-distance marriages. And I would not prescribe that for anybody, but 
they can kind of make it work a little bit, but it's because they have such a low capacity ostensibly for social interactions, and many of them are doing research, really, really intensive research, and they're introverts. If you're two extroverted people who have a high social nature, <laughs> there is no way in Hades you should try to do a long-distance relationship. Yes. It, it's, you're going to cheat. It's just going to happen because yes. you're a social being, and, and I would hate for you to be in that position where you feel like cheating because you have this high need for inter- social interactions. That's what I'd say. Anything else, Matt? I mean, we we had, like, we lived in the same town through college while we were dating. But during the summers, we had long-distance relationships. Yeah. And we scheduled, like, time for either me to drive down to Waco to see him or he would drive up to... Eight, Oklahoma, eight Oklahoma, four hours away. Yeah, and um, so we did that. We This was before texting, so we would, like, email, write handwritten letters. No FaceTime phone call but this was like he had to call my landline because of so then you have like your parents listening this listening. was like a whole nother world yeah, it's a whole nother world 16 years ago well more than that yeah. okay I'm sorry to inform you that this is the last question I'm really sad about it yeah. this has been really good um, but this is a, <laughs> this is a question that I have prepped Natalie on this is the only question I've prepped Natalie on Doug does not know what Natalie, what story Natalie is about to tell. Oh. He has no idea. <laughs> what is a story about Doug that we do not know? Yeah. Doug okay. thinks he knows what Natalie is about to say. No, I, he, don't, I really don't. Yeah. I'm a tabula rasa, a blank slate. Okay, so um, <laughs> when we were first dating, like... The way we would communicate with things, Doug is an external processor, and I am an internal processor. So he, he would um, try to figure out what he was thinking on something, and he would spit all of it out like until he figured out what it was that he really thought about it. And I would just be, like, taking it all in, like, oh, my goodness, like, I can't believe he's saying this. And he would say things that were just inappropriate, like, like inappropriate to me. And he didn't sense the inappropriateness of it. I was unaware. He was unaware. So I helped him to become aware. And um, so as an internal processor, I would, like, bottle stuff up for, like, a couple of weeks until it all just kind of volcanoed out. And um, (laughs) he would be like, where is this coming from? He'd be like, I really need you to, like, let me know about this on the pinch before it becomes, like, a big issue. So I was like, okay, I will try and work on that. So um, one day (laughs) he decided because he is an external processor and I am an internal processor that he would process out loud that he thought, I figured it out, Natalie. I'm just smarter than you. I figured out why we were having all this conflict. Yes, yes. So I decided to let him know my feelings on the pinch. That's right. So let me show you. This is how Natalie made me aware that the, the recipe I had handed down from my family of just super directness without filtering doesn't work. So I kicked him in the crotch. <laughs> 
I told him. It, dude, it was hard, y'all. She I had Doc Martin boots on. It was it was hard. rough. Right there. I told him I was like, listen, I said, that's the dumbest thing you've ever said, and that hurt my feelings. Now you're gonna hurt. <laughs> and I'm telling you I love you so much. <laughs> I've helped him so much in not saying dumb things over the years. I no longer kick him. Because we wanted to have kids. <laughs> but spoiler alert, we had problems having kids. You're not going to believe this. But, uh, yeah, so I, I used to, he would hurt my feelings and I would kick him in the crotch. Okay, here's, here's the addendum to this story. So, um, <laughs> so I am in, my, in our library, which is where I have my quiet time, daily devotional thing, kind of. And early in the morning, I'm in there with my planner and I'm thinking and whatever, and my son comes in, he wakes up early, and he comes in, and he grabs, like, a book and starts, like, looking at, he can't read yet, but he's looking at stuff. And I don't know how we got on this, but um, I just said, hey, James, are you reading? And he's like, yeah, I'm reading. I was like, that's real good, man. You're really smart. And he looked at me, and he goes, Dad, I'm smarter than you. <laughs> From the kitchen, I was like, how's it feel? <laughs> uh. But for reals, y'all, like... Doug is very intelligent, but I would like to say that I have also graduated higher GPA every single time. It's true. I have published more than he has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. technically. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, seriously, valedictorian of high school, graduated uh, summa cum laude undergrad, perfect GPA, master's degree, published author, was a principal by the time she retired from teaching. She's a G. She's the best. I'm really sad that this is done. We can hang out again. We'll, we'll, we'll come up with another time for me and Natalie to talk about stuff. Would y'all like that? We'll come up with something. Um, really quick, we wanted to give y'all a few highlights, and then we're going to hug and pray. But first, can we just thank Natalie for being here? 